morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning. What an incredible, beautiful day it was, it was or is today, uh, this morning. Uh, this morning I got up and uh, I think I got up around a little bit before 7 and I was looking outside and it was dark and so I, I walked outside and kind of waited for the sun to come up and just to enjoy the morning. Such a beautiful morning outside for us to enjoy. What a great morning it is for us to gather together for these moments of being able to praise God together with one another. It's a special time that we can be together physically like this, even though it's uh, small in, in number. And those of you who are back in the remote service, we just can't thank you enough for your willingness to go back there. We know it's different from being in here, and yet it's something that we practice when days were more normal and we used to fill up the inside of the building. We had to use a remote service. Well, in order to have larger numbers, that's what we have to do as well. But we just appreciate you being here and, and being with us. Let me make you aware of a couple of things that you already probably know about, as I already mentioned by Dave, but we're going to have our prayer summit this evening beginning at 6 o'clock on Zoom. Let me encourage you to take a part in that. There's a number of things that we're going to be uh, praying about that deals with our families and with our congregation, the country, our missionary, just a lot of areas, and I know that those prayers are, are powerful. Number two, uh, let me remind you of our uh, new podcast that we have begun between uh, Clint, uh, Jared, and myself uh, called Soul to Soul, where we just talk about spiritual matters and things, and, and we, I think this is in our third episode, and so if you go to Spotify or Buzzsprout or on Facebook, you can get to that by just typing in Soul to Soul Clint or Soul to Soul Richard, and you ought to be able to find the uh, podcast. They last anywhere from 15 to around 20 minutes or so. Um, also, let me remind you about our services this evening, that or our, our, our service normally that begin at 6 p.m. Our pod, our, that, that evening, of course, is going to be our prayer summit. And then uh, 7 o'clock, you can register on the phone number that is uh, behind me. Okay, so... Uh, how many of you realize that in 16 days we're going to be involved in a national election? Well, if you're not aware of that, you probably have been living under a rock somewhere. But we're going to be in the, in the midst of an election, and this election probably is not a lot different from uh, in, in years past in elections, going all the way back almost to the beginning. When it comes down to this American right or tradition, you'll find that there is a lot of miscommunication, there's a lot of name-calling and and mudslinging, and then of course there's the media circus that surrounds it. All those things are part of what goes on in an election uh, cycle. And generally when it comes down to your vote, you probably are thinking about your candidate, and you're thinking, well, my candidate is the very best candidate, and all the other candidates are either competent, incompetent, or they're demonic. You know, so we have different views of how we look at various uh, candidates running for office, whether you're talking about a president or whether you're talking about congressmen or, or governors or mayors or any other strata of people that are voted for. We see them in that kind of a way. It's a little bit compared to a story of a, a man who was running for city council. And so he's going door to door and he was uh, soliciting votes and he was giving their speeches and things are going pretty well for him that day until he came to one door and when he knocked on it a man answered it and he was an older man and he was really grouchy about things and so the guy got into his speech and the fellow said he says I would never vote for you I'd rather vote for the devil to which the guy understood that there was no way he is going to sway his vote and so he finally said to him in a as kind of way as possible he says well I I understand but in case your friend is not running could you consider me for the vote? Well, that's how we view people. We look at candidates and we see the negative side about them. We see some positive sides about them. But you are going to be presented with an opportunity to do something incredible as an American citizen, and that is the right for you to vote. 
for your chosen candidate. It's an incredible privilege when you think about it and that your vote has the potential to change things. Your potential has a, the potential of doing something incredible. Now, and so this morning what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you a little bit of, about entrusting your vote uh, to God. And you say, okay, Richard, are you going to get real political on it? As I said to someone, to, to someone Wednesday, as I was talking about what I was going to preach, and they said to me, are you going to tell us who to vote for? And I says, no, nah, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. At least by name, I'm not going to. And so, I, so I'm going to talk about some of these things. And you say, well, but you're not a politician. Listen, I'm not a politician. I'm a preacher. And as a preacher, my job is to preach the whole counsel of God. That is to preach things to you that are comfortable and, and things that are sometimes uncomfortable. One of the things that God has charged me with as a, a minister of the gospel is preaching the word. In fact, Paul speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, verses 1 and, and 2, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is the God of the living and, and dead, I mean, those are serious things when you think about it, who will present himself uh, as well as in the kingdom. It, those are, are serious things. What he's saying is that there's someone higher above you, Richard, than anyone else on the face of the planet, and that is God. And, and he is the judge of the living and dead. You are dealing with life and death issues, not so much the physical life and death issues, but certainly spiritual life and death issues. And those are the things that we are concerned about because we are kingdom people. Then he goes on to say to him, he says, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Because there's going to come a time, he says, when people will heap to themselves those who will tickle their ears. My job is not to tickle ears. My job is to talk to you about spiritual things. And as you recall, for the last couple of months, I've been talking to you about the seven qualities that make up a Christian's true nature that is found over in 2 Peter, the first chapter, beginning in verses 3 down through 11, and in particular, verses 5 through 7. And there are those seven qualities are laid out before us. And these qualities are to be applied to our everyday living. They're not just information that I have given to you, but it's information that is given to you that you are to apply to your lives from the words of Peter as the, he was inspired by God and that they become a part of your decision-making process, which can be applied even to an election a cycle. I didn't preach the series in order to get to that. I'm just simply saying that uh, to the election cycle, simply it can be applied to these cycles. And so when you talk about the democratic process, there are some inherent weaknesses that are inside the democratic process. For instance, two problems that plague the voting public. When you think about it, it's this. As you think about candidates, the one problem is, is that uh, we're voting for, uh, for mor mortals. We're talking about people who are, are sinners. They are people who struggle or are prone to the same kind of, of uh, weaknesses, the same tendencies, as well as the same temptations that you and I are, are faced with. It, they have to deal with those kinds of, of things. And so I just want to remind you that if you think about the candidates that you're going to be voting for is that politicians are not God. They don't walk on water. They don't perform miracles. And they oftentimes do disappoint us. But nevertheless, that's what there is for us. I like the, something that Bertrand Russell put out that I thought was somewhat uh, humorous. He says, democracy is the process by which people choose a man who will get the blame. And that is more true than we'd probably like to ad admit because the day a person becomes a president, half of the nation's not going to like the guy or the gal if that were the case. 
that's just the way the politics is, and that's the way our government is set up in some terms as adversarial between parties. And so, you know, so the first thing is that understand that when you're talking about a candidate, you're talking about a mortal person, a person that falls short, a person that sins, even as we do ourselves. Then there's problem number two. We are under sometimes the mistaken belief that a candidate or a party of which we, to which we vote has the ultimate power within themselves to change the course of a city, a state, or maybe even national destiny. I want you to know this morning that that is not true, and it has never been true. If you look back over presidential elections that began from the very founding of our nation and going forward, you'll find that, that presidents oftentimes are those running for president are at odds with one another. They do a lot of name calling. They do a lot of accusations. They have lots of agendas that are are out there. I can remember in my short time of looking at the very presidential elections, if you were to just go back to say when President Clinton was elected, I remember there was those who were saying, if you elect that guy and he becomes the president, it's over for our country. If you put George Bush in there, it's the end. If you put Barack Obama, you will not recognize the country by the time he is, is done. And now you've got Donald Trump in there. You know, here's where we are today. And if you put the next guy in, you know, you're not going to recognize it. If you put Joe Biden in there, we're on our way to socialism. I mean, it's those kinds of things, that kind of rhetoric that is out there. But yet here we stand these many years later as a, a nation. Some of our greatest pol uh, politicians recognize this. I'm thinking about those in the past. If you were to go back to the days of Benjamin uh, Franklin, he was talking to the assembly. They were at odds in an issue. And he said these words, in this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find uh, political truth and scarcely able to distinguish it when it is presented to us, how has it happened that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights, of, of lights to illuminate our understanding? He's talking about prayer. He says, how is it that we have done all this political wrangling and have talked about this situation and have not thought to go to God and address God in these, these matters? If we were to, I, I wish our politicians would call for a national day of prayer where we would consider a God in the midst of an election. Uh, Abraham Lincoln said this, it is the duty of nations as well as men to own their own independence upon the overruling power of God and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and prove by all history that those nations only are blessed who God, whose God is the Lord. He's in the midst of a divided nation getting ready to go into a civil war, if not in fact in the middle of a civil war, and he talks about the need for God to be in the midst of our nation or any country or President Ronald Reagan. He says, without God, there is a course of a coarsening of society. Without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. If we ever forget that we are one nation under God, we will be one nation gone, gone under. Pretty strong thoughts when you think about it. But then there is what God has said over in Romans, the 12th, the 13th chapter and verse one, as Paul is writing to the church in Rome, Rome, the center of the world in many ways, one of the most powerful countries uh, in the world and probably one of the most powerful men on the throne, the emperor of Rome, he said these words, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, 
for there is no authority except that God has established the authorities that exist have been established or placed by God. So what is he saying? He's saying that God is the king maker. From time to time, you'll hear about various politicians who will say, well, you know, this person, what he has to say, he's the king maker. He's the president maker. Well, no, no one is a king maker or a president maker. The Bible says God is that. God is the one who establishes authorities and places uh, people on thrones. First Peter, the second chapter, the apostle Peter, I think, has some really wise counsel as he talks about this, this very thing. Look at chapter 2 and notice verses 13 and following. Here's what he said. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human, human institution, whether to king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men, act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king i think some of your translations may say honor the governor what he's saying is is that god ultimately is the one who is control of of things and that, that we need to recognize that even as we think about our vote and entrusting our vote uh to god so how does this all fit well when it comes to christians god and the political process what does that mean to those of us who are followers of of god well, in America, we enjoy a freedom of democracy through a form of government that is known as a republic. What's a republic? Well, the term republic simply means a representative form of democratic government. What that is also saying is that we're not a pure democracy where we vote on every single thing. To live that way, you'd have to live in Switzerland where they have probably a, a pure democracy where they vote on everything from subdivisions being put on land to you know, electric high towers being placed in certain places or to whether you're going to allow heroin to be legalized or to be illegalized. They get to vote on everything like that. We don't vote on things of that in that way. We are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And we, as people, elect representatives to participate in government, the government pro pro uh, process on our behalf, who we believe share our values. And so those who are in high places, whether it's a president or a congressman or a governor or a mayor or whatever, they, they don't exist, or we don't exist to serve them, they exist to serve us. And so we choose representatives who share our values, who share the things that are important uh, to us. So let me just talk to you for a few moments about candidates. When you talk about a candidate, you need to know who the candidate is. You need to know their platform, what they stand on, and what they stand uh, on before you give them your, your vote. Uh, you need to look past uh, sound bites that the media is going to spoon feed you because oftentimes when you talk about the media, whether you're talking about uh, regular uh, uh, mainstream media or whether you're talking about cable news or whether you're talking about social media outlets such as Facebook or Twitter or any of those things, understand that when you talk about those places, oftentimes they are very agendized driven and they tell you truths, they tell you half truths, sometimes they don't even tell you the, the truth. And so when you talk about a candidate, you got to get beyond what the media is trying to spoon feed you because like I said, sometimes they have an agenda. So you have to look more at just what a, a person says and, and how they say it. 
you got to get be below that. You have to look at their track record of the past. Joe Biden has been, you know, he's been a senator for 47 years. He has a huge track record. You have President uh, Trump, who has formerly become a politician about three and a half or so years ago. So that is his track record. The most powerful man, arguably, on the face of the planet, he has a track record on the things that he has done. So you can look at their past. You can look at what they're saying presently and how they have signaled that they're going to govern in the future. Realize that uh, they may not always look so desirable. The truth of the matter is, is that when you think about Donald Trump, there are some things about President Trump that are just undesirable. There are things about his person, his character, that are, that are less than desirable, but the same can be said for, for Joe Biden. There are things about him that are not desirable, that don't sound good or, or look good, or various candidates, or maybe even their, their running mate. So realize that, that they may not always look so desirable. So what do you do at that case? Well, then you have to look at the platform. What is their party's platform? What is the Democratic platform? What is the Republican platform? What are the things that are important to them? What are the things that they stand on? What are the things that they encourage that gives you a strong signal as to how you maybe need to place your vote? As Christians, we need to vote for the person or party that best represents our moral values and those values that have been established by God found in his word. Now, this morning was read to you from Psalm 19. I didn't choose that section of Scripture, by the way, but in that section of Scripture, there the writer says that he loves God's Word and that he will live according to its statutes and according to its commandments, that his will would be done. And so, as Christians, we live our lives in that kind of, uh, that kind of, of way. It's God's words that move us. So when we talk about moral excellence, then we find out what moral excellence is from looking at the Word of God. When it comes to knowledge, the Word of God tells us what is morally excellent, and then we add self-control. That's how we make choices in, in our lives. Here's the thing when you talk about party uh, policies, is there are some things within their policies that are of a very strong opinion kind of thing, and then there are those things that are of a more moral nature that can lead to sin or not to sin. So let me just talk to you some about opinion because I think our concern should not be so much about opinion as it is moral concern. Opinions like what? Well, like, like fracking or drilling or mining for fossil fuels. You have one candidate who says, listen, if I become a, a candidate, then I'm going to try to eliminate the use of fossil fuels. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to eliminate fracking. They're starting to kind of change their minds on that. The other guy says, no, I'm going to frack all over the place. I'm going to drill. I'm going to try to keep us independent in terms of our natural resources and, and energy. And so the question is to frack or not to frack. doesn't mean much to us probably here in Idaho, but if you live in Wyoming where they do lots of coal mining or if you live in Pennsylvania or West Virginia, uh, if you're in North Dakota where they do a lot of, of fracking, if you're down in Oklahoma and Texas where they do a lot of oil drilling and things like that, then that's really big stuff uh, to them. But let me ask you, is fracking or drilling or mining a sin? Or is, is it an opinion? Is it a sin for you to drive a gas-guzzling car that puts pollution in it? Is it a sin for you to heat your house with electricity? I think I mentioned probably several months ago that 43% of all electricity that is produced is produced by coal-fired plants. And so is it a sin to burn electricity? Use electricity? Is it a sin to drive a car? 
to me, I think it's, I mean, there might be some moral things that you can talk about that surround it, but it's, a, it's an opinion. Or how about climate change? That's a, a big one today. One side of the party says, or one side of the house says, listen, climate change is man-made and produced by men by putting pollution into the air. I think there's no doubt that there is climate change on our globe. I think our planet is going through some climate change. There's no denying that. It's the difference of how they view it. One side says it's man-made and produced. The other side says, no, it's not. It's a cyclical kind of thing. It's a cycle thing. And the arguments that they would give to that is that before the Industrial re Revolution, before you know, plants and factories there putting pollution into the air, you had the big ice age and then the little ice age and, and going forward. Then they produce, produce you know, scientists. And one set of scientists say, listen, uh, climate change is produced by man. It's man-made production of it. And then they produce the other scientists who say, no, it's not. It's all a cycle kind of thing. And so we go back to the question again, is it a sin if you decide you're going to go visit your family across the country to fly in an airplane? Is it a sin to drive your car and put pollution into the air? It could be something that is moral to you, but it's probably more of an opinion kind of thing. Here's one that might be a little bit closer to home, and that is the application of the Second Amendment. Now, me, that's a constitutional right that you have. I own weapons. You know, I have pistols and semi-automatic or semi-automatic pistols and revolvers and rifles and semi-automatic rifles and shotguns and semi-automatic shotguns. I have all that stuff. Okay, but the argument is, is that there's what they would say is that wait a second. How do, are you going to apply this, a second amendment that was ratified in 1791 when they all used flintlocks and make that apply to the 21st century where you have AR-15s with 30-round magazines? How does that fit in there? question would be, is it a sin to own a gun? The answer is, is no. Is it a sin to shoot someone with a gun unlawfully? The answer is, is yes. Guns kill people. No, guns don't kill people. People kill people. They're inanimate objects unless someone pulls a, a trigger. The, maybe the availability into the hands of the populace is, is something, but in my estimation, those still fall into the realm of an opinion and how you feel about it. I'm talking about how does God feel about fracking? How does God feel about climate change? Well, we're destroying the world. Let me tell you what, Second Peter, the third chapter, I already said who's going to destroy this world, and it ain't going to be a man. God will destroy this world in its, its, its time. And so when you think uh, about it, uh, it's, this is an opinion thing, but I don't think God could give two or three wits about those things. He's more concerned about the, the spiritual welfare of a people and maybe even of a nation, which brings you down to talking about immoral things or sinful things that parties represent. As Christians, we strive to, uh, for, for moral excellence for knowledge of what is right and wrong, and then to be self-controlled in our choices of it. There are some issues that God has spoken on that are not, uh, that are of a, a moral nature, and he calls them a sin. And so what we have to do is we have to look at those things, and so when it comes down to the two parties uh, and how they view the sanctity of life, which ones uphold the sanctity of life, protecting the innocent, and the most vulnerable. I'm talking about unborn uh, children. I think that scriptures teach that, that when a baby is conceived within a mother's womb, it becomes a, a human being. Now, if you're on the pro-abortion side of the issue, you're going to say, well, that's your opinion. Okay, well, what is God's thoughts 
about it. What does God say about these things? Well, look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And listen to how the psalmist uh, talks about this. For thou didst form my inward parts, thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. It seems that God knows the preciousness of a child, that they're not more than they're more than just fetal tissue, but that they are a human being that at a given time will eventually mature to the point of birth and to being a viable living being outside the womb. And if that's not enough for you, then if you were to look at Proverbs, the sixth chapter, verses 16 and 18, it says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination uh, to him. And in verse 17, he says, those who shed innocent blood. There's nothing more innocent than an unborn child. Nothing more innocent than that. And so you have to decide which side of the aisle protects the most innocent and gives them uh, justice. You, you say, well, okay, but Richard, well, what about, what about a rape and, and incest? And what about the endangerment of a, of a woman's life? Did you know that that only makes up like 3% of those babies that are aborted? Only 3%, 1% for rape, 0.0% for uh, incest, and then the latter 1.5% for an endangerment of a mother or an infant. So when you look at that, are you willing to give up for 1% the rest? No matter what Roe v. Wade said in 1973, since that time, over 66 million babies have been torn from their mother's wombs and have, have died. 66 million. So you're willing to give up 3% of 66 million for convenience or as a means of birth control because a person was not, you know, was not responsible for their, their actions. Or how about the LGBTQ movement, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans uh, community? What does God say about that? Well, I know that what the courts have said in the, in the Supreme Court of the United States is what they have said with Oberfeld and, and versus Hodge. But what does God say about homosexuality? Leviticus, the 18th chapter and verse 22 is pretty, pretty plain. God said it is a sin for a man to lay with a, another man. That's what he says. And in fact, he says it is an abomination. If you go over the 20th chapter and verse 13, he said it's a detestable detestable act. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, when you look at Romans, the first chapter, and what God has to say about that, he says these words, beginning in verse 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way, also the man abandons his natural function for the woman and burns, for the, uh, for, uh, burns in their desire towards another, men with men committing indecent acts, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their, their error. What does that do penalty? Well, 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter and verse 9 says, there are those who will not enter the kingdom of heaven, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, 
nor effeminate, nor homosexuals shall enter the kingdom of, of God. That's what God says about those, those things. Or what about transgenderism? In first, Genesis, the first chapter, verses 26 and 27. In verse 26, God says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And in verse 27, he says, And in the image of God, he created them in his likeness. Male and female, he created them. He didn't create anything in between. He made biological males, biological females, and no amount of surgery or hormonal therapy or psychological adjustments is going to change that biological fact. It's an impossibility. A hundred years from now, if you were to dig up your bones, your DNA will show that you are either a male or a female, and that will not change. God has established what is a male and what is a female, or marriage between males and female. Genesis 2 and verse 24, after God has made him male and female, it says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The marriage bed is to be undefiled and held in, in honor. God has spoken towards that, regardless of the Supreme Court decision. So God calls such things uh, sin and an abomination. And there are platforms on both sides of the aisle that have made their decisions on those things. As Christians, we are to uphold the moral code that God has established. And though our candidates are less than perfect, uh, which one best represents the moral values and, and those of God? Because your moral values should be established by God and not by the state or any man-made court on the face of the planet. Okay, so how do, you, how do you know if you're relying more on politics than you are on God? Well, when I was in the uh, trades, working on nuclear reactors, <clears throat> working with all kinds of trades, there were two rules that they had. Number one, you couldn't dis discuss on the job site, you couldn't discuss religion, and you couldn't discuss politics. Anyone have an idea why? Because it turns into huge fights. That's why. And so how do you know when maybe you've crossed the line from politics and how much we trust in, in God? Well, the Bible says this, Therefore I want men everywhere to a uh, place to pray, to lift up holy hands without wrath, that is anger, and dissension, that's disputing and a controversy. So if you find yourself in the midst of a political discussion and you find yourself uh, getting worked up, angry, you find your, your temper getting out of hand, and you're feeling maybe even depressed because your candidate did not make it in, it may be a pretty good sign that your faith is less in God uh, than in your politics. Uh, you're taking your eyes off of God and put your faith and hope in a politician rather than a political party rather than God, if God is in control of things. So let me talk to you very briefly about entrusting your vote to God. How do you go about doing that? Well, First Timothy, the second chapter, verses 1 and 2, as he writes to Timothy, says, First of all, I urge that supplications, prayer, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and those who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So how do you entrust your vote to God? Well, I would submit to you that the first way is to entrust your vote to God is to pray. To, to pray. Your deciding vote, you need to hear me, your deciding vote is, uh, in any election is not the one that you make in a ballot booth. As a Christian, 
It's the vote that we make in the privacy of our prayer closet. When we're talking to God about serious issues, that we make sure that we are going to God and talking with him about things that are there. In fact, the vote that you make on your knees has a power no ballot box can equal, which tells you what? Which tells you that the right to vote can go far beyond age, which means even teenagers can rock the vote. Even teenagers can have a major influence on political things because there is no age limit when it comes down to going to your knees and praying to God about things. And I know that to a lot of our teenagers, political issues are are very important to them. And so you can still participate in the process by that which has been given to you by God, and that is being able to pray to God about things that are on your heart in view of, say, even an election. Don't estimate the, the power of prayer. I like what Gerald Fleury said. He said, prayer is a political action. Prayer is social energy. Prayer is public good. Prayer is an act of petite patriotism in the largest sense of that word the single most important action contributing to whatever health and strength there is in our land is prayer prayer is huge and so when we think about prayer listen to what god says as as he talks about the discourse the king's heart which means the governor's heart the congressperson's heart the president's heart is in the hand of the lord he directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. God is in control of those things, and so we need to be praying for all our politicians, all the leaders of our country. We need to pray for those we like. We need to pray for those we don't like, probably even more so for those that we don't like, that God can in influence their lives in positive directions that lead towards a godly uh, nation. We need to pray for the success of whoever is in leadership. If Donald Trump is reelected, we need to pray for his success. If Joe Biden is elected and his team, we need to pray for their success. Why? Well, when God sent his children into captivity, he said this, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have already carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. If your country is doing well, you will do well. And so pray for our candidates. Pray that God will be with them in their decision-making process and that he will soften their heart to do the right thing when everyone gets into that position of authority or power. Pray for the healing of our, our land. If my people, that's who we are, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Heal their land. Because God is a part of that process. There's many times in my prayers lately that I've asked God to pre please give us what we don't deserve and not what we do deserve. Because there are things about our country that is really bad. There's a lot of things that are really good. But there's some things that are, are bad, and so I pray for our country that we will turn to him, that he might heal whatever division that is there socially or, or uh, racially or politically, that he would heal our, our land. Pray that the decisions of our leaders will enable us to reach more and more people 
with the message of Jesus Christ. I think that's why Paul wrote what he did to Timothy. I urge you, first of all, the petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all people for kings and all those who are in authority. Why? Well, look at the very last part. Because God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. The gospel spreads easier when there is peace and tranquility than when it's the other way around. We want the gospel to spread to people who are, who are lost. And so as I close, entrust your vote by placing your trust in God and recognize that no matter what happens, no matter who is elected, God is still in control. Government and political leaders exist only as God permits. Our God is king of all kings. He's Lord of all lords. Just remember that as you go in and entrust your vote to, to God, trusting God. Our trust must always be supremely in God, not in politics, not in economics, not in science and technology, not in philosophy, not in psychology, not in education, not in armies, not in any single man or agency of man, not in a political party, but in God. We also need to remember that God's purpose may include blessings, but it also may include judgment and chastisement for the time. God is in control. Disraeli said these words, great nations rise and fall. <clears throat> the people go from bondage to spiritual truth, to great courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependence, from dependence back again to bondage. We need to be serious about who we elect and who we ask to represent our values as, as Christians. The democratic process is only as great as the people who participate in it. And as Christians, we need to participate in it. The sacred privilege, the honored privilege that you have to make a difference as you seek God's guidance and you seek to entrust your vote to him. And so as you go into the voting booth, if you haven't already done so, uh, and you wait for November 3rd, then as you go in there, Entrust your vote to God. And when it's all over, when it's done, then we practice the next two qualities of our true nature, and that is we practice brotherly kindness and love for all men. And that we make sure that we keep ourselves morally excellent in every way. So I think, as I, if I recall, that this is the second lesson I've ever preached here about anything related to something like this. But I think it's important for us to think about may God bless you as you entrust your vote to God, and more so than that, as you entrust yourself to him, who's the creator and maker of all things and sustainer of all things. So the lesson is yours, your response is yours as well. While together we stand and we sing this song.